0: We are Hope Church, Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am.
1: Enjoy the message. So lovely to see you all today, and um, let me just set a little bit of the context. Last week, um, Chris introduced us to this series. And we looked at God's design for sex and relationships, particularly that God has set um, marriage between one man and one woman as the context for, for sex. And there, there you go, I've basically said everything I need to say, but today I'm going to be expanding on that in terms of the, um, the context of sex, sexuality, and gender. So that's the focus for today, but that's not the end of the story. I'm going to try and cover quite a lot of ground in all of that. But part of this is going to be well, how you know, there's some quite tough teaching in this, but actually, how do we then play this out in in real life in a, in terms of our church? And that's what I want to look into next week for single people, um, be, perhaps because they're they're called to celibacy because of their sexuality. Um, how do we make our church a wonderful, welcoming community for them? And then in the final week, in a couple of weeks' time, I want to look at uh, that whole broader area of welcome and being a welcoming church. So that's kind of where, where we are and where we're going with this. Um, and today, in today's talk, I'm going to start off looking at sexuality, and then we're going to have a little bit of a break, and I'm going to ask Anna to come up. And she's going to tell us a little bit about her experience, and then I'm going to try and cover gender. So, there's quite a lot to get through. I'm not going to be able to go into uh, all the detail of all the arguments and objections and everything, but I'm going to be doing, doing lots of signposting along the way. And there's quite a lot of literature at the back, some books for you to browse through for further reading, and some um, leaflets and booklets. Uh, to go away and and read up on it. So there's loads of great uh, resources out there, and this is not this is not the last word on on this matter. There's a lot more to kind of dig into if you'd like to. So a little bit about me. I'm an elder at this church. Um, my wife Jean and myself, we've been part of this church for about ten years, and together we d- lead the pastoral care side of things here as well. I've also recently. Um, Join the kids' work team again uh, for the first time in about eight years. So that's that's fun. And uh, I have a real heart for including kids and young people in our life as a church. So let me tell you a little bit about um, the organization that I work for. I work for a charity called True Freedom Trust. We're a Christian charity that teaches and pastors and provides support particularly to people who struggle personally or have someone in their family who struggles with same-sex attractions. And we, um, we often we do conferences and we do like local support groups. So Anna is, is part of my sort of local support group here in Guildford. Um, and we've actually been going since 1977. So we've kind of journeyed through a lot of change in our culture. The good news is that the Bible doesn't change. So the truth... Uh, stays the same we seek to bring the truth but with with oodles of grace and compassion and I hope that's going to be the tone of today's talk Um, now TFT is um, I'm very grateful that it's part one of the hope works charities at this church the church supports it I'm very thankful for that if you'd like to know more about us um, there's some leaflets at the back about what how you can get involved if you're interested Um, and part of my job is to edit our quarterly magazine Ascend magazine and I've actually actually asked Rohana to write our front page article for the coming edition on on inclusion being a biblically inclusive community so um, I'll bring some copies of that along when that's uh, due out in February so that's a little bit about what I do um, for a living um... So just before we get going, I'd just like to yeah, just say a little bit about the language that we use. Because of time, I'm just going to maybe use gay, lesbian, and same-sex attracted interchangeably just because of, of time. I haven't got to go, go into all, those, all the details of that. And I'm sorry that if the language that I use or anything that I say um, upsets or offends anyone, do come and grab me at the end and say, well, you, sh- you shouldn't have said it like that, or what did you really mean? Um, that, that's not my intention to offend anyone. Um, and Chris went into some of the risks of doing this series last week and I'm conscious of those and I I want to teach only what is in the Bible and not to put any other burden on anyone's shoulders. Uh, My intention is not to judge anyone but rather to equip us increasingly as a church to understand and to know how best to love and support those who might come under that LGBT umbrella. A couple of points on sort of pastoral support. It may be that you or someone close to you is personally affected. This might not just be, a oh, that's interesting. This might be like, I personally struggle with this. and um, Or someone in your family. It may feel very personal. And what we cover today may bring up um, some uncomfortable feelings. And so th- I'm hoping because we've had kind of quite a, a short time at the start of singing, that there's going to be plenty of time towards the end for for singing and response, and some people at the back will be available to pray with you if this is something that you'd like to talk through because it's on your heart or because it's something that's quite close to you. Love to, love to uh, work that through with you, um, either myself or, or one of the other leaders here. I've personally struggled with my sexuality so this is not just something that I'm dispensing teaching on cold-heartedly this is something that I've wrestled with and I don't know it's kind of strange in a way to to be saying this but for most of my adult life I was single I I didn't get married till the age of 38 and it's it's only when Jean and myself got married that I've become part of this church whereas if you'd known me at my previous church you'd kind of know me as that single guy who's still single in his 30s and I didn't know whether I was going to get married or not. Um, So this is something that's been a real issue for me. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on my story today because I want to give Anna the space to share hers. But um, if you were at West Point in 2018 or came to the Cafe Theology that I led in 2019, you might have heard a little bit about my story. So let me, before we kind of get into the the teaching, let me pray again. Father, thank you that you're, your word is good your thoughts are higher than our thoughts and sometimes lord they're strange in 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 terms of the context of our culture but lord we want to hear from you we want to submit ourselves to your truths because even when we can't understand them fully we know that you are a good god and you are you work through all things for the good of those who love you so Help me to speak gently. Help me to expand on your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What I'd like to do as we look at the issue of sexuality is to go through three um, passages in the Old and New Testament. Um, So we're just looking at, uh, to start with, what Moses taught. Most people accept that Moses was the writer of the book of Genesis and uh, this is a verse that Chris brought to us last week um, this is right back in creation and, and it says that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh and that's kind of our foundational uh, Bible verse for, for marriage and for the place of sex so one, one flesh becoming two becoming one and, and that's God's good design God is God's design is so good, sex is so good that God wants to put boundaries around it and that's the context for which um, sex is, has been designed. That's the biblical vision and as we t- as Chris touched on last week and you may have talked in your life groups, this is more than just two people coming together for companionship or, or enjoyment. This is actually pointing to greater truths. Um, this is that when one man and one woman come together in committed, lifelong union, it's a picture of how Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, is preparing his bride, the church. All of us, Christians, whether we're single or married on this earth, we're all part of, of the church, being prepared to be united with Christ in heaven. And so marriage on this earth, the, the coming together of man and woman coming together, it's, a, it's pointing beyond itself. It's to something greater. That's why um, it's, not just, it not, it's not just anyone coming together. It's the difference of man and woman coming together in lifelong marriage that points to that greater truth. Marriage in this life is, is just a, its just a passing state. There won't be people being given in marriage in heaven, the great intimacy in heaven will be bequ- between his church and Jesus Christ. And that's what Ephesians 5 talks about. So that's, that's the boundaries around, around sexual activity and anything else outside of the marriage of one man and one woman is is, is, known, is just known as sexual immorality. Anything outside it. So it's not like, the bible is just having a go at gay people now any any kind of sexual activity outside of the marriage between one man and one woman is sexual immorality so that's that's kind of that's the creation or foundational principle but you might be thinking well you know that's the old testament and we kind of you know isn't that a bit what about what does the new testament say well let's see what jesus taught and i just have to say that jesus doesn't actually speak explicitly on homosexuality because it was a bit of a given in his Jewish culture that um, this, this kind of, this truth. But Jesus does allude back to this truth. So let's have a look at uh, a passage in Matthew 19. And this is when, when Jesus has been questioned on a matter of, of divorce, a technical issue. Um, but Jesus, it's interesting to look at where Jesus points back to. So some Pharisees came to Jesus and they wanted to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you heard, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh, therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. So do you see where Jesus is pointing when he's, when he's given a question about divorce and marriage? He goes right back to Genesis 2.24 and nothing's changed. It's, it's the same. That is, that's the definition of, where, um, of marriage and where, where sex is for. Uh, there's no change. There's no trajectory from Old to New Testament. But then you might think, well, fair enough, but that was in that sort of Jewish context of Israel. Today we're in a multicultural society, things have moved on. So what's the Bible got to say about that? Okay, let's move on to our third and final um, Bible passage on sexuality. And this is Paul, this is the Apostle Paul, speaking into the multicultural city of Corinth. Not actually that, in terms of its morality and diversity, not that different perhaps from our nation today. Um, So this would be a context where homosexual practice would be very much known about. And and Paul teaches uh, the Corinthian church. Um, He goes through a whole sort of vice list, and there's a number of these in the New Testament, but I just picked out this one. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? a whole list of vices, you know, not just um, homosexual practice, but a whole list of things, as being vital to turn from. This is, um, can you see, these are not secondary matters. These are not like, oh, you know, um, this isn't like infant baptism or whether you eat this food or not. This is kind of, oh, this is serious. You know, these, if you persist unrepentantly in these practices. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are not matters. I'm, I'm afraid that we can agree to disagree on, and it's unfair on people to sort of say, you know, you just make up your own mind. If you're a Christian, you have your view, and you have, and I have mine. Because the Paul, Paul is crystal clear, isn't he, on the seriousness of these things? But aren't before we kind of get too high and mighty, aren't we all guilty of some things on this list? Haven't we? all perhaps uh, fallen short of sexual immorality, Um, Jesus says, anyone who's looked at um, someone else lustfully is like they've committed adultery. Have we not sometimes been guilty of being greedy and so forth? Does Does that disqualify any of us from inheriting the kingdom of God? No, that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, let's turn from these ways and trust in Jesus. And then we can inherit the kingdom of God. What's important is, is that we turn, we repent, we turn from ungodly ways. And You might think, when Paul says in verse 11, and that is what some of you were, that might be quite confusing to someone who identifies as gay or lesbian. They might say, hey, I'm gay. And... I could trust in Jesus, but I'd still be gay. Does that disqualify me? And that's why we need to be careful with our our sort of identity language that we have today. So let's not mishear what Paul's saying. He's not saying, hey, if you continue to experience same-sex feelings, then you're condemned. You know, any more than if you continue to be tempted to slander or be greedy, that you're condemned, we have a choice. We might continue to have temptations and feelings. What's important is how, how we respond to those. Okay. So I hope that's clear. Uh, there's, there's a consistent... There's a, here's a three C's that I want to just sort of bring out of these passages. It's clear, isn't it? It's clear all the way from creation through to Christ through to Corinth that the Bible is clear on what it says about sexuality. One woman and one man in marriage. Everything else is sexual immorality. It's consistent. There's no trajectory of change. But it's challenging, isn't it? Isn't this challenging? It's so different from what our culture teaches today. And it challenges all of us. We all fall short sexually, perhaps, in our thoughts and 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 um, and what we entertain in our minds. So that is what I think. The Bible says that's what the that's what the church um, has has taught through the ages. But I just want to recognise that other people have different viewpoints on this. So let me just bring this to you. Um, so I, I think there was a broad consensus between church and culture. Through until about the mid-20th century. And then in the church, liberal theologians started to reject the authority of the Bible and we, and said, well, you know, we don't like what that says, um, we, we reject that. And then subtly different revisionist theologians would then would be people who kind of claim to be Bible-believing, but then go through the passages in the Bible and kind of come up with clever uh, gymnastic sort of arguments to sort of say well this, this well, Paul wasn't really saying this or in the context of of Corinth it would be a bit different or um all of these kind of arguments you probably heard them and I haven't got time to deal with them but there's good solid biblical arguments against against them all and um yeah let me I've actually had a load of these pastoral papers printed which are excellent so I'd really recommend. I think there's there's only about a dozen or so left at the back, but I can get more. And it's um, 15 reasons for why people affirm same-sex relations from a Christian point of view. They might affirm them. And the 15 good biblical responses to that. So do pick up one of those. um, And if they all go, I'll bring some more next week. So do be confident in the Bible. It can be quite off-putting when revisionist theologians come up with clever arguments the other way. Um, But if you look at the Bible with an open mind and an open heart, you know, I've been thinking, working this through for the last 30 years. I'm completely convinced that it's it's, it's very clear. Um, When I grew up, you know, when I went to school in the 1980s, our society was very homophobic and... I was very afraid to talk about my own sexuality. Um, that's been ch- that's changed a lot, hasn't it? And now our our society um, very much sort of pushes uh, a lot of LGBT stuff. And some of that is good. You know, some of it, some of it is good that there's no long- there's less bullying, for example, in schools for people who have same-sex feelings. So let's not be um, entirely against that but I would say it's gone too far and actually the hatred of of gay and lesbian people has been in some ways replaced by hatred of the Bible and what it says. I think people mishear what the Bible is really saying. So that's what others believe, but as I say, I think this is an important matter. I think we need to be clear on what the Bible says. How do we hold on to this clear truth but do it with grace? Well, I think we, first of all, we refute falsehood. We... We, we challenge the things that people say that are wrong about what the Bible says. And uh, change always begins with ourselves, doesn't it? So we refute prejudice and hypocrisy amongst ourselves. Let's not be a church that, um, that says it welcomes gay people but then sort of sniggers at gay jokes or whatever. Let's be clear that we are genuinely at heart level uh, welcoming we go out of our way to love and include LGBT people let's be let's be a church that is like that and I want to as I said I want to go into more detail on how we become a, a community that is one that single people and LGBT people want to come to because they know they're not going to be judged and they know they're going to be welcomed might have more practical questions you know should i go to a same-sex wedding that sort of thing we can look at all those kind of things in our cafe theology um, which is next sunday evening the bottom left of your screen there's a slido.com link so if you go to slido.com hashtag hope church you can put in questions and we'll try to address a lot of those next time um, at the cafe theology So a few resources. These pastoral papers are great. There's about 15 or 16 of them. They're all free. Um, There's a few sample copies of other ones out there um, going into more stuff on sexuality and gender as well. Um, There's some books as well. Uh, Let's see if I've got those up here. Kevin DeYoung's What Does the Bible Really Teach About Homosexuality is Good. goes through some of this Bible teaching and also the common objections to it as well. Uh, purposeful sexuality, is looking a little bit more into that sort of Ephesians 5 stuff. What is the, what is the real kind of um, eternal purpose of our sexualities? And then A War of Love, so a chap called David Bennett, is a, he was a gay activist in Australia and now has become a Christian and it's kind of his personal journey through all of that. And all those books are available at the back for you to have a look through. So enough of me talking for now. I'd, I'd like to invite... Anna to come up. Maybe if you could grab the microphone on your way and I'd love to a- ask you a few questions. I, just turn it on? I think it's on. So Is it working? You, I think that's, yeah, yeah. that's great. Oh, well, thank you so much, Anna, for coming and being with us today. You, you've come all the way from Staines today. You're part of uh, Staines Congregational Church. And I think your pastor double-booked you this morning, didn't, didn't he?
0: Yeah, he did. I'm supposed to be doing the kids' talk right now. <laughs> um, but I pre-filmed it, so it's fine.
1: <laughs> that's, that's great. So you, you've covered for him. Um, so, Anna, you're part of my um, support group in Guildford. And um, it's great to have you as part of that. Can you tell, tell us, how old were you when you first experienced same-sex feelings?
0: Well, I was probably... I probably realised something was different when I was in primary school, like later primary school, but I didn't realise what it was, and I didn't know gay was a thing, so I thought I was trans, because I knew trans was a thing, because I met a trans person, Um, but I really really realised that I was gay when I was probably about 14.
1: Okay, thank you. And there was... Quite a lot of other stuff going on in your life around that sort of time. Do you know, yeah. Just mention what those were. Um,
0: so I started having seizures because I'm epileptic when I was 14. And I started being bullied when I was like 13. Um, and I felt like there was something else, but I forgot what it was. But yeah, a lot of stuff happened when I was about 14. Yeah.
1: And you did maybe a bit of self-harming, was it? Oh,
0: yeah, I was self-harming as well at that yeah. time because of the
1: bully. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so a really tough time. And... Um, you you had a lot of other stuff to deal with and you kind of maybe just put a bit of a lid on your same-sex feelings at that time?
0: Yeah, definitely. I just kind of ignored it and I was like, it'll go away, it'll be fine. Um, and then it didn't. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was also like really involved in my church. Um, I was going to church about three times a week. So I was like, I don't need to, I can just ignore it and it will go away, you know. God's got this. Um But it didn't go away, so I was like, church or being gay. Um, So I kind of was like, I wanted to go to church and be with my church friends, because that was my family. Um, And I didn't really see an option where I could have both,
1: because
0: that was what I was taught.
1: So you, you grew up in a Christian home, and you were going to church. Did you know, with the bullying and stuff that was going on, did did church feel like a safe place for you?
0: Yeah, it was definitely my safe place. I wasn't bullied at church. Um, A few people in my church knew that I was being bullied, none of the adults. Um, But one of my friends from church, well, from church youth group, she would sit with me on the bus when I was getting bullied so that I wasn't alone. Hmm.
1: Yeah. And a while later, you actually told the whole church youth group about your, your same-sex feelings? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah,
0: so when I was about 17, I was like, okay, I should probably... We'd only just had somebody at church, like the week before, we'd had somebody at our church speak about same-sex attraction and their testimony. And I was like, okay, so I know they'll be okay. We'd, every year we have someone um, from um, Living Out, which is another same-sex attracted... Is it a company or charity? Charity. Charity. Yeah. Um, speak out um, at our church about like the theology aspect of it and their testimony. And so we. So I was like, I told everyone my test, like, not my testimony, that I was bi, that I had feelings for both, even though I didn't. I was like, it's easier. They're like, okay, cool, yeah, you can date guys, it's fine. And I was like, I'm not gonna act on it, even though that was not true. <laughs> And then um, one of my friends just goes, you should really talk to your friend Lucy. Um, And I was like, why? And they're like, you should check her Instagram. And so I just went on Instagram and she's 100% dating a girl. She has not come out, but like, you can see. Um, And so I messaged Lucy and I told her. And um, she was like, oh, I should probably tell you that I've got a girlfriend. I'm like, yeah, I've looked at Instagram. And she was like, is it that obvious? I'm like, yeah, everyone knows. And she was like, oh no. (laughs) And um, yeah, so that's how I came out to my church friends. And then about six months later, I came out to my entire church. Um, But I had to tell my parents first, which was a fun conversation. Um, that yeah. was the night before? That was the night before, yeah. <laughs> I didn't give them any warning. I was just like, so tomorrow I'm going to tell the entire church. <laughs> so I figured I should tell you first.
1: <laughs> and what was that like for you and for them?
0: Um, it was the worst conversation in my life. Because um, I was like, yeah. Because at this point, I'd, I, I'd stopped the whole like bi thing. I'd said that I'm like only into girls, which is you know, true. Um, so I was like, yeah, you're probably not going to have... Because they were like, but we're not going to have grandkids. Are you sure about this? <laughs> so they were they were really upset. And they're like, do you have to tell people? Um, and yeah, they, they didn't like it.
1: <laughs> but but then you told the whole church. And then yeah. what? how did the church respond to you the and the parents? The
0: church was really supportive um, and really loving. There was one not great comment to my mum they didn't even say it to me they said it to my mum my mum was really upset especially since she only found out the night before um so she cried and um that person was told by my pastor that um even though he'd been there for 40 years he was told that um, what he said wasn't biblical and um he needed to think things over and if he didn't apologize he would be asked very kindly to leave the church
1: so people sort of stood by with you and, and stood yeah. up for you that's great and now you're, you're here you're standing up sharing your testimony in front of a whole church of strangers you've recently started at, at Bible College um, you're co-leading a mental health support group at your church how has God sort of led you through all of this?
0: Um, I don't know <laughs> by uh, standing by me I guess yeah. Um I think it's just prayer. Like I there was a lot of times when I would be like in a ball in my room crying. The first time I ever spoke to anyone from TFT, I was in the corner of my room in a ball. And I didn't want to deal with it and then Yeah, I was literally in the corner, in the ball, between the wall and my bed. I don't think I told you this. (laughs) And I was like, I don't want to be here. Um, And then, yeah, I think a lot of, like, prayer and worship and just leaning on God in the hard times.
1: Thank you. What would you say to someone who says that, you know, a call to a life of celibacy is too much to ask? I
0: don't think it is. Paul was was celibate. Um, Jesus was celibate. And... I think... Friends are really good. (laughs) Um, Family's really good. Some people, I know, lost their family when they became... When they decided to make the celibacy decision. And their friends really rallied around them. Their church really rallied around them. And... Sometimes it's really hard when you're celibate. It sucks, I'm not going to lie. Um, if there's anyone in this room who thinks they might, God might be calling them to celibacy, I'm not going to lie, it sucks. <laughs> um, but I've also found that I have some amazing friends who invite me around for dinner when I'm feeling lonely. And I've literally slept on people's sofas when I don't want to be alone. So, yeah.
1: Thank you so much, Anna, for sharing with us. It's been really powerful. Can I pray for you? Now, thank you. Father, thank you for Anna. Thank you for her courage in coming to share with us today. I pray that you would continue to sustain her and give her friends and encouragement and a church that is supportive and uh, help her to keep going. And thank you for the way in which she is showing us Um, she's an example to us of what costly discipleship looks like and thank you for the way in which she points us to the life to come to that future um, with with christ preparing ourselves to be with him in heaven I pray for your blessing and protection on anna in jesus name amen thank you so much Okay. Deep breath. Let's move. Let's, um, thank you so much, Anna. That was amazing. Um, let's say something about gender. Again, I um, just want to say that, you know, that, again, there's, there's a risk of me saying things the wrong way and offending. I'm sorry if that's the case. Um, LGBT kind of groups, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people all together under some Umbrella, but I think that can be a little bit problematic. I think transgender is quite a different issue, but I'm just going to use LGBT for convenience. Trans um, is a word in our culture which is a is a massive umbrella term. It can range from you know just mild unease with fitting in with those of the same sex to to being a massive thing. Um, so that when the person Every time they go to a toilet or a changing room or have to do anything in their life where they need to do something that corresponds with their biological sex, it feels inside like a massive denial of who they feel they really are. It's just too hard to just put a lid on it. And this can lead to poor mental health, including suicidal feelings. So this is a really big thing for some people. And for people who are openly transgender, common experiences, sadly, in our society today include bullying, misunderstanding, discrimination and violence. So it's, um, it's a really tough area, but it's also a big, a big sort of umbrella term. Um, let me get into a, a few definitions because it's important to know kind of what we're speaking of here. Sex, gender, what's the difference? Well, let me first uh, explain what I mean by biological sex. I'm not a doctor, but I understand that your biological sex is medically defined uh, in our chromosomes, and this affects our anatomy and the development of our bodies during puberty. And for the vast majority of people, their biological sex is clear. Now, there is a, a rare collection of medical conditions known as intersex, and in some of these conditions, the biological sex of the person is unclear. But, and it's very important that we're really understanding and accommodating towards these people. They are a tiny minority of people. The vast majority of people today who are questioning their own gender do not have intersex conditions. Their biological sex is clear in their bodies and in their chromosomes. So I can point you, if you're interested, I can point you towards further reading on intersex conditions. Again, that's a whole, that's an umbrella term of a number of medical conditions. It's quite complicated. Um, but what I'm addressing today, from this point onwards, is where someone just, fe- I say just, I don't mean just, where someone feels that their gender is different from their biological sex. And this is, um, in terms of a medical diagnosis, this is what's known today as gender dysphoria. There we go, biological sex, and let me, let me secondly define what I mean by gender. Gender is essentially how we present our biological sex before other people in the context of our culture. Gender is how we present our biological sex before other people in the context of our culture. For example, men and women present themselves differently in appearance, and I'll, come, I'll be coming on to this in a little bit later. But there's a huge amount of freedom in how we dress, get our haircuts. You can generally tell from from people how they look, whether they're male or female. Also, uh, another example is, you know, there's certain places as a man that I cannot go because I'm not a woman, and vice versa, if you're a woman. In terms of listening, um, an interesting Christian writer who's a psychiatrist Mark Yarhouse has said, if you've met one transgender person, you've met one transgender person. Um, what that means is they just say, just hear someone saying, oh, I'm trans, and, and think you've, you've put them in a um, you know, in, in, in a category and you know what they're saying. So it's really important to listen to what they're really saying. And the other thing on listening I want to say is let's be, there's so much in our, on our media and in our culture, the culture wars and there's so much vitriol, isn't there? Let's be distinctive from that. Let's really listen to people and not jump to judgments. So that's my little preamble, and uh, but important. And now I want to um, introduce a few Bible verses um, to look at what the Bible has to say on gender. So Genesis 1.27, again, right at the beginning of creation, really foundational, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So right at the start of of creation, God created humankind with, I'd say, three fundamental features. Firstly, they're made in the image of God. Secondly, we're made male and female. It's very foundational. The two sexes are foundational to who we are. And thirdly, we are embodied. That, what that means is we're just, we have bodies. We're, we're embodied spirits, but we're not just spirits. Um, Genesis two seven says, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Our bodies are a good and important part of who we are, even if we're not always happy with them. Now, it has to be said that there's not so many clear biblical references to gender as there are for sexuality. There's no, you know, the word transgender never appears in the Bible. It hadn't been invented then. Um, You might debate the references to eunuchs, but the assumption through the Bible, I think it's fairly clear, is that there's two genders and that they're God-given. Also, the Bible doesn't distinguish between sex and gender. Whenever male and female are spoken of, sex and gender can be taken to be the same thing. Meaning, taken as one, I mean. And the other thing, you might think, well, you know, Stuart, what you said on sexuality was pretty clear in the Bible, but this, there's, not that, so there's not so much on gender, so I'm kind of a little bit more relaxed on that. But what I would say is we can't really, it doesn't really make sense to accept the clear teaching on sexuality, but then reject the distinction between male and female if we can self-determine our gender, surely this undermines the biblical teaching on sexuality. You know, if I were to want sex with another man, but I could just redefine myself as a woman, then that would be like a loophole, wouldn't it? And that God doesn't create rules with loopholes like that. So there we go. That's our foundational verse, Genesis 127. And I also just want to look at this verse a woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. Deuteronomy 22.5. Now, there's some Old Testament laws that were just for the duration of the nation of Israel, like the food laws. God called them to not eat pork, etc., to set them apart from the other nations. That was for a time, and then it was clear that um, Jesus had sort of set people free from those laws um so they were for a time but we can't dismiss laws like this that link back to the fundamental differences that God has established in creation we can't dismiss them in the same way it's different okay let's look at this verse 5 now i don't think this is saying it's wrong for a i don't know a man to put on a dress when he's in the pantomime or something for a bit of fun um in our culture now it's isn't it for women to wear jeans and hey men can wear skinny jeans now apparently Um, times and fashions change don't they Um, everyone's looking around there to see who's wearing what (laughs) in different cultures men and women have different ways of presenting themselves I think what this verse is getting at is when someone is unambiguously presenting themselves as the other gender now, it's not for me to list the hairstyles or the clothes that men and women should wear. We have a huge freedom to express ourselves in our clothing. You know, even if I am the sort of person who just goes and picks the next polo shirt off the hangar in the morning. Um, many people love to express themselves through what they wear, and that's great. I, want, I think what God's getting into in this verse is that intentional rebellion against our God-given gender through what we wear before others he doesn't require us to dress uniformly but he wants us to receive our god-given gender i hope that's clear because to undermine all the differences in between the genders undermines that foundational difference in how he made us back in genesis in the image of god he created them male and female he created them God wants us to receive our gender from him, which for the vast majority of people is clear from their biological sex. Now, having said that, we need to res- that we need to respect our God-given gender differences, I wanna make a few important pastoral points. For someone who feels that their gender is different from their biological sex, this is a hugely distressing experience. Now, Jean and I have a friend outside the church for whom this is the case, and this person has struggled with shame and suicidality, It's so important for us to listen, encourage and affirm the person in the right way. If we know someone who's struggling in this area, we need to do lots of reading and to get clear ourselves on the the language so that we're not being offensive or ignorant. Get some understanding of what it's like to feel this way. and There will be lots of practical questions around use of toilets, mental health support, pronouns, names and so forth. Now there is a range of viewpoints among thoughtful Christians on how to accommodate another person's feelings of gender dysphoria. And I think there's quite a lot we can reasonably accommodate, do to accommodate and ease these feelings without going as far as gender reassignment surgery or puberty blockers. And I'd say we need to take young people seriously, particularly young people who are kind of working this through not just... Dismiss them with a simple phrase like, oh, you're just going through a phase. Let's get rid of gender stereotypes. Now, one of my sons has recently taken up knitting, and I love it that he's young enough that there's no one has told him that this is stereotypically a girl's activity. He loves it, and he's getting on with it, and that's great. It's great that girls have more freedom these days to play things like football. And challenging these stereotypes is important in helping particularly young people, in developing both a healthy sexuality and a healthy sense of gender. I was speaking with a member of True Freedom Trust recently who used to be a male ballet dancer. And sadly, he was told by other boys at school that he must be gay because he wanted to dance. And guess what? He developed same-sex feelings and lived as a gay man for a number of years. And I'm not saying that was the only factor in his emerging sexuality, but we don't help young people when we impose unbiblical expectations on them, what they can and can't do, just because they're, whether they're male or female, or female. And this can be a thing in churches, can't it? Sometimes it can be, you, know, fine for men's groups to go hiking and for women's groups to go craft to do craft. And, and that's fine if they want to do. but let's remember the women who want to go hiking and the men who want to paint or knit or whatever. Let's have, have room for them. Now we might come to a talk like this thinking, oh, you know, the Bible's a bit of an old fashioned view on this, but what I've sort of reflected as I've prepared this is there's a surprising freedom in the Bible's very limited regulations around gender expression. And I'd say actually the Bible um, is actually more liberal in many ways than much of modern Western society on this. It sets important foundational boundaries about male and female, but it's actually our society, Um, you go into any toy shop or in a clothes shop, um, that sets a lot of limitations around colours, sports, hobbies, career expectations that we expect our young people to go into and adopt. So, I hope that's been... Oh, there we go, there we go. Um, Yeah, those are sort of gender stereotypes. Um, so just a few things in summary on gender three f's Um, we are flesh and bones we're not just a spirit just um, squatting in these bodies our bodies are important to who we are the bible doesn't distinguish between our biological sex and our gender and our body tells us what our gender is not our feelings we're invited to receive our god-given gender as being aligned with our biological sex so that's flesh and bones foundational we've looked from genesis 127 that one man and one woman in marriage is is the foundations of um of gender and sexuality this is undermined if we can choose our gender and thirdly flexible we actually if our heart is not in rebellion against our god-given gender then actually the bible gives us a lot of freedom to express ourselves outside of gender stereotypes. Um, what do others believe? Well, I think there was, the probably the consensus was, was probably a little bit, uh, threw into a little bit later than with sexuality, but that's, um, that's changed now. Now, because there are fewer clear-cut biblical passages on this, there's probably been less kind of theological debate on this and that's a shame because I think the principles are very clear if you do your, do your Bible study um, and probably the society is probably more divided on this because there's transgender rights clashing with women's rights and there's a whole debate about that um, you know the kind of women's rights women's refuges women's sport and so forth and, um, and I would just encourage us if we're going to enter into those debates let's be examples of of graciousness, because there's not a lot of nastiness around those discussions. Um, How do we hold on to truth with grace? We're the same, the same as before. We refute falsehood. we repent of our prejudice and hypocrisy, and we go out of our way to welcome and include transgender people. Okay, so that's that's what I wanted to say on trans... um, Loving LGBT people. I'm going to be going into a lot more detail on this over coming weeks. But briefly, let's welcome the person. Look beyond the labels. Let's overcome prejudice. Let's repent of when the Christian church has been homophobic or transphobic or rejecting or judgmental. Let's be prepared. Let's read books. Pick up some stuff at the back on the way out. And be patient and and consistent with people. Let's... um, Let's give people the time and the space for the Holy Spirit to bring change in their lives. (coughs) Let's be consistent. Um, Let's not be coming down on a gay couple when actually we're kind of fairly relaxed about a straight couple who are sleeping together before they get married. Because LGBT people will sniff out hypocrisy a mile. Okay. So for some resources, I'd really... Um, there's a copy of this at the back I really recommend it it's by an American chap called Preston Sprinkle embodied and it goes through the biblical principles but also kind of gets into all these practical matters about um, pronouns and changing rooms and stuff that's really good Um, there's there's pastoral papers about transgender as well Um, so do some reading because I think it's a complicated area and the more informed we can be, the better. So there we go. That's, I want to kind of allow a time for response and I want to wrap up. Um, I hope that's been helpful. Um, and over coming weeks, we'll be looking next week at singleness and community. If we are asking people, because of what the Bible says, to lead a single celibate life or to hold back from gender reassignment surgery, there's a big thing we're asking. Um, We need to make our churches places where it's plausible to live that out, where we can have welcoming, meaningful family and community. So then we'll be looking at welcome and outreach in our fourth and final time. The church in this country sadly doesn't have much of a reputation for being welcoming to LGBT people. I hope that Hope Church can be a place where we are known to be a welcoming family of people. So I might have raised more questions than I've answered today. Come and grab me. Anna's also willing to chat later. Um, if I've, again, if I've said anything that's been offensive or said it in the wrong way, I'm sorry. Do come and correct me afterwards, please. Um, there's the Cafe Theology coming up next week, so pop your questions on com and we'll try to answer them next Sunday evening. Let me pray as we, as we move on. Father, I just pray for anyone who's been personally affected this morning, that you'd um, help them to get the support and prayer that they need. Help us to repent of any ways in which we've mistreated LGBT people. Equip us, Lord, with truth. Give us wisdom and give us loads of compassion, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so you're welcome to to seek out prayer at at the back, there'll be people willing to pray with you. Now, James is going to lead us in a prayer called God of Justice now. And you might want to use this as a, um, a prayer for a prayer of commitment to stand with those who are hurting, perhaps because they've found Christians uncaring the past. So I just invite you to, to join in with that uh, in this time of worship. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.